This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another great show uh, today. We, we address all of it. We've been here before is a really important, important segment of the, uh, of the program. We also have James O'Keefe on talking about muckrakers and our responsibility uh, as Americans. Also, Bitcoin, inflation, the Fed, the Treasury, and the economy. All on today's podcast. BlazeTV.com slash Glenn is the place to go to get your subscription to Blaze TV. Don't miss out on being a part of the movement. You can get 15 bucks off your subscription right now by using the code The Great Reset. And don't forget to subscribe and rate and review this podcast as well as Stu Does America, available every single day right here where you listen to podcasts. Here's the show. been here before i remember the 1970s i remember welcome back cotter happy days and the seemingly endless summers where our only instructions from our parents were to be home before dark the sound of the screen door slamming shut as we ran to play with our friends it was very different from the violent 60s you know the love decade for years, the 1960s has bothered me personally. I always thought it was an incredibly selfish age. While it said it cared about others, most of it, I, it seemed to me, was only about getting high and sleeping with whomever or whatever you wanted. No rules to me. Always seemed like no responsibilities, dude. It always seemed to me as an angry and arrogant generation. With really no respect with for what came before because it just knew better that was wrong that was old we just know better we're going to change things and to hell with the rest of everyone else the assassinations the bombings the riots eventually grew old eventually you run out of mud to roll around in but as always, the truth is somewhere in between the extremes. There were real problems with race, politics, love, war, and blind loyalty. In the 1960s, it was an era of assassinations. Kennedy. From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Martin Central Luther Standard King Time. was killed. Malcolm X was killed. And finally, at the end of the decade, RFK Jr. was killed. And who stepped in? Johnson, a racist, ended up crafting the great society and became the civil rights icon? How did that happen? Somehow, without question. 
As his policymakers said he would fight and win the war on poverty, his actions actually enslaved, not freed people. In fact, people of all races now are getting caught into the slavery trap of this government. And then the answer to that was Nixon. And I want to say this to the television audience. I made my mistakes. Nixon was the answer for the other side. And as we know, many times the other side is just as bad. I've earned every cent. Because we fight over the two parties, we become tribal and we fight blindly for things and people that we would never really fight for if we hadn't been convinced the other side was the enemy. The 1960s, I think, was just an abomination. And then the 70s came. Was that any better? Things changed. In the 1970s, they kind of changed. I mean, we weren't killing each other in the streets and burning our cities down. But we went into a different place. Things were still changing and bubbling under the surface. Roles of men and women were changing. Parents changed. America was changing. We had gas lines and cold winters with no heating oil, inflation. American factories closed. It seemed no one could get a job and hope was a thing of the past. I remember the symbol of American might and know-how, the big American car. It became a boat. It was a joke. Our military had become a joke. And soon we all seemingly all felt America would be a joke if it wasn't already. New York City was a crime-ridden hellhole. And the generation after the hippies left home, my generation was the first generation that had to have all their candy checked for razor blades or poison. And it was then that a movie came out. It was Saturday Night Fever. It's a pretty bad movie, honestly, but it's a time capsule. It's a marker in space-time, and it wasn't really about the music. It reflected the era. It reflected what was happening at our dinner tables. Every time you mention Frank Jr., you got to cross yourself. He's a priest, ain't he? Father Frank Jr., your brother. Your mother doesn't have too much to cross yourself about these days. You're so jealous of Frank Jr. Oh, shut up, will you? Hey, hey. where are you? <coughs> Boom! And a shirt, watch the shirt, stupid. Okay. Yes. All right, come on. Manja, manja. Yeah. Go ahead. Eat, eat. I got more pork chops than more spaghetti. What do you mean you got more pork chops? I'm out of work. Yeah, well, as long as we got a dollar left, we eat good in this house. What? Yeah, I might even get a job myself. I tell you, Will. 25 years in construction work, I always brought him a paycheck. What, six, seven months I'm out of work? And all of a sudden, what? You hit me. And talking back. All right, all right. Talking about getting right. a job and hitting all right, me. All right, no hitting, no slapping at the dinner table. Okay, that's the rule. Hmm? And you was the one who's hitting. You never hit me before. Never. Not in front of the kids. One pork chop! One! Hey, Frank! It's disgusting, right? Sick. We just washed the hair. Even all the way down to the sounds of church bells ringing in the neighborhood behind. The tension between mom and dad over money, over job, 
over roles. And the kid pulling more and more inside of himself. Hey, watch the hair as the family and seemingly the whole world was crumbling. The movie also shows us a time where we knew things. We talked to each other. We told each other stories. Yes, believe it or not, we spoke to one another. There were no cell phones and there was no Google. Do you know how tall that bridge is? That bridge... That tower right there goes up 690 feet. They got 40 million cars going across there a year. 127,000 tons of steel is involved in that. The concrete there, they got almost three quarter million yards of concrete. That's right. The center span right there is 4,260 feet. Many of us, at least my age, have been here before. We know these times. Hard times made us. Perhaps we become the parents now in the movie. And we forget that we were once actually the kids that could actually see a way out. That were seemingly just worried about our hair, but not really. We were the kids that felt hope. Only then to have someone in our life blow that flame out. We were once there. Oof. And we're here again. But this time, this time, we know how the story ends. This time, my generation is old enough and strong enough to tell the hippies, we've had enough. I've never expressed this out loud before. But I've always had a problem with the 60s. I've always had a problem with the hippie era. And it comes from someplace very personal. It comes from my childhood. It's time to tell the hippies, knock it off. You've had your fun. You set yourself free and you found yourself. You had your sexual liberation. And the rest of us have paid the bill. We have cured the diseases. We were there to pick up the pieces of our destroyed families after you left. You gathered the kindling for the bonfire of the vanities. You were raising kids in what you say was the era of greed, the 1980s. But it wasn't me that was the yuppie. It was your generation that was the yuppie, not mine, and certainly not our parents. It was your generation that fought against the U.S. in Vietnam and the Cold War. You were the ones saying that Reagan is a warmonger and he's going to get us all vaporized. You went on with your life, but it was my generation as a kid that woke up with night terrors night after night about being vaporized because of your political propaganda. I got news for you. It wasn't our parents that arrogantly said we could have it all. It was your generation. It was you and your generation. You brought us the Clinton years where we could have it all. Pets.com. You got to get in. Crash. You brought us the Obama years. Hey, get this loan. Everyone can have a loan. Everyone should have a house. Crash. 
you brought us these times because weak men bring hard times. Here you are now way past your prime and you will not retire from so-called public service. Do you know this is the oldest by far the oldest generation to ever serve in Congress and the White House by far. We have people who don't even understand how a phone works. And why is that? Are they serving because they're living longer? No, no. It's because they are the hippie generation. They are the generation that I and others my age have lived in the shadow of the whole time. The hippie generation, the generation that has been arrogant and greedy and all about themselves the entire time. It's why they're all getting rich in Congress. It's why they're all staying in Congress. They're arrogant and greedy. They always have been and always will be. Now, I want to make sure that I'm not making just a total blanket statement of all those who grew up in the 60s, because many lived through those times and learned from their mistakes. Some did not. I have two messages today. First one to the hippies. You've had your fun. You've made your wealth. You have become everything you said you despised when you were a kid. You are the man. You are the ones keeping the regular person down. You're the ones kicking the door behind you closed. My generation has always lived in your reckless shadow. We've been the only ones left to clean up your mess. And I feel at times that nothing really has changed. You still get away with it. And it's my generation that pays the price. We were the latchkey kids, not you. We were the ones with a broken family, not you. But I'd like to ask you nicely. Stop. You're the ones preaching. When is enough enough? When is enough enough, Nancy Pelosi? When is enough enough, Chuck Schumer, Harry Reid, Mitch McConnell, Joe Biden? When is enough enough? Go away. Retire. It is time to give other people a chance. And perhaps it's too late for my generation to have the turn. But you will not do to my kids and the next generation what you have done to my generation. And then you blame it on us. You always blame it on someone else. While everyone else has to clean up your mess or live in your pigsty that you left behind. I'm tired of it. And now it's not just about me and my generation. It feels personal because I've been dealing with it since as long as I can remember.
but it's actually about protecting our kids. Here's the second message. For all of those who are not part of that arrogant hippie generation that never learned their lesson, you're not alone. Especially those who are millennials. I'm the last year of the boomer, and I've always related to millennials more than boomers. Because it is the boomer generation, on the most part, that has caused all of this mess. I want you to know you're not alone. If you are 15 or 45, you are not insignificant, nor do they have all of the power, all of the answers, or all of the tools. And we need you. Many in my generation get it, and we're fed up, and we'll protect you. We'll help you stand, because we know the people very closely. We're closely acquainted with those people. We get it. We need you to right the wrongs of the arrogant. And for any of us who really remember Saturday Night Fever, those days of the 1970s, I just want to remind you, disco came to an end. It was a quick and disastrous demise. It involved steamrollers rolling over these records. America turned the page, and it happened quickly. It seems all we had to do was remember who we really are. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck Program. Founder and CEO of Project Veritas and the author of a new book, American Muckraker, Muckraker, James O'Keefe, joins us now. Hi, James. How are you? Hi, Glenn. And great quotes you've selected there on the intro. Well, I think that's a I I think you're right on uh, target. This is where America needs to uh, to be. I've been you know, I've been looking at the uh, words of Eisenhower going into D-Day. The eyes of the world are upon us. And it is the time to either stand up and be counted or kneel down. Well, that's why I say I'd rather die on my feet than live on my knees. This book, American Muckraker, I I talk about the problems in journalism and the, the crisis of conscience that we as citizens face because we all suffer. In fact, the first chapter of this book is called Suffering. And people might be asking, why is James O'Keefe writing about that theme? Well, it's because... You know, people that blow the whistle on these institutions, a lot of the people come to us inside of these different departments, they do struggle and suffer. And and, and I've personally uh, struggled and and felt pain enduring the defamation and the the lawsuits and even the incarceration and most recently FBI raids against me. But, um, you know, I think in life we all suffer. It's just a question of do you want to follow your conscience or not? And I think it's better to follow your conscience and expose what's, what's going on. So I'm trying to create a movement of these people to do this. And this book is kind of a handbook. American Muckraker is a handbook on how to do journalism living in clown world. Explain what Muckraker means, because it's an old timey, you know, early 20th century word. 
Yeah, it's from it's from about 100 years ago, or 120 years ago. Teddy Roosevelt, uh, in this uh, passage, Pilgrim's Progress, he talked about the man with the muckrake. And what I, I define it is basically a journalism who does a journalist who does expose reporting, making public what powerful people want kept private for the wrong reasons. And I distinguish a muckraker from a corporate journalist because many of the people in corporate journalism merely represent. They act as representatives for those in power. They relay to us what they're told. And, of course, you have to be skeptical of what you're told. You have to question what you're told. You can't just act in symbiosis with people in pharmaceutical companies and in the government. When, when, did we, when did we stop thinking that journalism is printing something that someone else doesn't want printed and, and exchange that for public relations? Well, the second chapter of this book, it's, I call it medium, and I do my best job of trying to tell the story in one chapter of the history of all media. I don't think there was a particular point in space and time. I think it's, uh, it's gotten horrifically bad in the last uh, two decades, uh, mainly because of the consolidation of, um, uh, of tech and the decimation of the country's newspapers, lack of integrity in newsrooms. Bosses don't, are not willing to do investigative reporting because investigative reporting is extremely expensive. Some of our investigations at Project Veritas cost us hundreds of thousands of dollars to do. Mm-hmm. You can't generate a profit doing it. There's no profit in this sort of work. In fact, you usually get sued into oblivion and most bosses settle lawsuits. I don't. We've never lost a lawsuit, but it's cost us an arm and a leg. So I actually traced it to economics in the 1990s. ABC got sued by Food Lion Grocery for that undercover investigation. But journalists have been acting as ombudsmen since the time of FDR when he was in his wheelchair or JFK. And Mm -hmm. so it's it's a it's a it's a long story. But I, I try to tell people how to break through it. Can I just switch to the news that you're involved in? You were raided uh, by the FBI in November because they said you had uh, Ashley Biden's diary. Can you give us a quick uh, synopsis of this uh, and what the latest is with your fight against the New York Times? Well, I, 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 a source transmitted me uh, the diary, uh, a document, the diary, and, and, and I tried to corroborate it. I, I tried to authenticate it. I was fairly certain the diary belonged to Joe Biden's daughter, Ashley Biden. Most people don't realize Joe Biden has a daughter named Ashley Biden. I, I, did, I, thought, it was, I thought it was hers, but wasn't certain, so I chose not to publish it. This was in October of 2020. Um, Fast forward a year, a federal agent showed up at my home with a search warrant. They put me in handcuffs, threw me against my hallway wall, raided my home, and took my two iPhones, just my iPhones, not my laptop or anything else. Very unusual, by the way, and particularly aggressive to do it against a journalist. Mm-hmm. Um, on the search warrant, it said, accessory after the fact and misprison of a felony. Now, these are, these are crimes that they are, I guess, looking for, but I have not been charged with anything but to, but to even do this to a reporter, accessory after the fact, is completely unconstitutional. The Supreme Court of the United States, in a case called Bartnicki v. Bopper, protects the right of a journalist to receive a document, even if that document was stolen by a third party, so long as the journalist had nothing to do with the, the theft of the document. I didn't think the thing was stolen. I, I assumed it wasn't. Um, and it seems that and it's coming out now it wasn't. But, Glenn, this was a horrible and egregious violation of my rights 
And of course, what's even more egregious is that within moments of me being out of handcuffs, I got a text message from the New York Times national security reporter who somehow had got access to this information and knew the Mm. subject of a grand jury subpoena. So this is what we're talking about in this book. It's also just the nature of our circumstances these days when the government teams up with media, which teams up with pharmaceutical companies, which teams up with the executive branch of government. It's really unjust. So how do you fight it, James? I mean, I know what you're well, doing, and uh, I, I really, truly hope that you win and you just take the whole system apart. Um, but how does the average person deal with this? What do, you, what do we do? Well, that's what most people are very cynical. I would say the majority of people are, are at least afraid. And the first thing we do is we have to tale as old as time, stop the fear. And yes, we're nothing and we're, we're not, you know, they have tremendous power, but I argue in this book throughout the book, but that's, that, that's part because we give them that power, right? We're, we're, we're not alone. And there's a lot of good people in the government. Just, just two weeks ago, we broke a story inside the department of defense. There are whistleblowers. There are people who see the truth, but they're afraid to lose their pension or mm-hmm. be persecuted or be defamed. So we got to stop wanting approval from these people. We got to stop wor- be worrying about losing our Twitter account and Instagram. We have to do the right thing no matter what. And Veritas has this whole whistleblower program. We've raised people half a million dollars every time they blow the whistle. There's life after whistleblowing now. And I think that's the future. I think it's a mass movement of truth tellers that bring reality, the cinema verite, that the images are more powerful than their ability to manipulate words in a newspaper. And I, I really believe that. You, you talk about tyranny and you say Muckraker's natural enemy is a tyrant. Um, but I don't know if we, I don't know if Americans really understand tyranny. What does it look like to you? I think it looks like the scene in 1984, um, which I've reread multiple times and I encourage everyone else to do it. And I cite it throughout this book when the protagonist Winston is being, is being interrogated by the tyrant O'Brien and O'Brien is saying to Winston, two plus two equals five. And Winston says in return, no, no, two plus two equals four. Everything inside of myself says it equals four. And O'Brien said, and is torturing him. And finally, Winston relents from the pressure and says, okay, two plus two is whatever you want it to be. And it's a very important moment because, because the reality, there's only one truth. There's only one reality. You're not entitled to multiple realities in this life. And they're trying to coerce us through shame and humiliation and the terrifying power of the press to believe that two plus two equals five. And, and, and I talk about that in a chapter called Power. And it really what changed for me was when I stopped seeking approval, when I no longer wanted mm-hmm. to be liked by yeah. the New York Times is when I was free. How true it is. Uh, and it makes you more frightening when you don't care. And they understand you don't care. That terrifies them, terrifies them because they have no power over you. The name of the book is American Muckraker, Rethinking Journalism for the 21st Century uh, from the founder of Project Veritas, James O'Keefe. James, thank you so much. Best of luck. Thank you. You bet. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. I'm done. With this question? No, I'm, I'm done with COVID. Oh, I'm see. done. It's yeah. like, I, 
I went so hard on COVID. I, yeah, I remember. sprayed the Pringles cans that I bought at the grocery store, stripped my clothes off because I thought COVID would be on my clothes. Like, I did it all. I watched Tiger King. I got to the end of Spotify. Like, we all did it, right? And, no, no, we didn't all okay, do it. Well, well, here's the thing. A lot this of is us, very wise with Bill Maher. And then we were told, you get the vaccine. You get the vaccine and you get back to normal. And we haven't gotten back to normal. And it's ridiculous at this point. I know that so many of my liberal and progressive friends are with me on this, and they do not want to say it out loud because they are scared to be called anti-vax or to be called science denial or to be you know, smeared as a trumper. I'm sorry, <laughs> if you believe the science, you will look at the data that we did not have two years ago, and you will fi- find out that cloth masks do not do anything. You will realize that you can show your vaccine passport at a restaurant and still be asymptomatic and carrying Omicron. And you will realize, most importantly, that this is going to be remembered by the younger generation as a catastrophic moral crime. The city of Mm. Flint, Michigan, which is 80%, I think, minority students, has just announced indefinite virtual schooling. Mm. In the past two years, we've seen among young girls a 51% increase in self-harm. People are killing themselves. They are anxious. They are depressed. They are lonely. That is why we need to end it more than any inconvenience that it's been to the rest of us. I think this is what is sweeping the world right now. And if you know, we've said several times, what side of history are you going to be on the right side or the wrong side? Well, it's been debatable for at least maybe two years. I think about a year it's been debatable which way this was this was thing is going to play out Wes. well. You, right now, if you are this big mask mandate, shut it all down kind of person, you really need to look at the facts. You have to look at the facts. Look at look at what's happening in uh, in England right now. They're back open 100 uh, percent and you're on the wrong side of history and it is going to be a massive moral failing. Yeah, and I think there's two things that are important about that clip and so many others that we've played recently where people like Barry Weiss, who's not conservative. Yeah. Uh, Bill Maher, who's certainly no, no conservative. conservative, is out there saying this is over and I'm done with it. One is that where it's just like it, at one point in this situation, it there was a real split between, I think, the left and the right. The conservatives wanted to open things up and go and liberals generally wanted to uh, to lock down. And that is just not the case anymore. There are a lot of people who are Democrats, who are liberals, who are moderates, who want this over with, too, and are done with it. Yes, you hear a lot from the, you know, Gavin Newsom's of the world. You hear a lot from the, you know, Andrew Cuomo's uh, and his uh, his um, his clones around the, the country. And you hear a lot of this stuff from the media. But the, the, the truth is, at this point, the dynamic has changed. We should recognize it as conservatives and we should not shun all the people who were on the other wa- side. Want Welcome. to be on our side now. Great. Great. Come, we, Come on. Every every small business owner knows you need liberals in your restaurants too. You need liberals in your stores. You you this is not uh, this is not something where we can sit here and just say, "Oh, well, we we were right and let's punish you for being wrong." Let's welcome these people in because once we get people like Bill Maher and Barry Weiss and so many others in our group, the 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 tide is is not going to be able to be stopped. I think that's part of it. The other thing that I think is important to to recognize from that clip is listening to them talk 
about the restrictions and shutting down schools for indefinite uh, online learning and vaccine cards and restrictions and mask mandates and all of these things. Glad I live in Texas. Yeah, that's exactly what I got. Yeah, We have constructed a two-tiered society. The stuff they're talking about, to me, sounds like a foreign land. It does not affect my life personally at all. I am concerned about it because I have fellow human beings who are being affected by it. Yes. But it does not affect my life at all. I, I feel watching some of this stuff in the United States of America like I feel about... A, a video about Ethiopia. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, these poor people are struggling. But it doesn't feel like it affects me. I know I can go to the store and get food whenever I want. Correct. But I, I have uh, empathy I feel the same way. for people in other nations. And I, I feel like that with inner city crime. Mm-hmm. Where like you see these gang shootings going on all the time in bad areas of Chicago. You know, I live in a suburb in Texas and like... Obviously, some of that could hit me. I could go to a city and get shot or mm-hmm. crime can spread. Things happen. You're not going but to it, Chicago. You're it, all right. It's, it's, a, it's not an everyday concern <laughs> for me. It but it is something removed. you watch and, and you have right? empathy for the people affected Correct. by it. That's Correct. what it feels like here. The, the, the left and blue states have turned this country into a two-tiered society where I feel completely normal on an everyday basis. If you're listening to me in New York, if you're listening in California... You, this may be a totally different situation in your life, mm-hmm. but it's been over a year, well over a year, where I have felt none of this. It had it, Living in Texas, living in Florida, living in some of these southern states, and you're seeing this now with the economy and the job numbers where hundreds of thousands of jobs are disappearing in every other region, and they're all going to the south. There is a reason for that. It's happening... In mass, mass numbers that maybe we've never seen before in in the history so of the United States. Here's what I think really has to be understood. I have been telling you for 20 years, there is going to come a time where we're going to have the Industrial Revolution that took 100 years. It's going to happen in 10. We're in it right now. I've told you for 20 years, in the end, tech will be despised because Tech is going to be seen as the enemy because it will be AI and robotics and everything else that take your job and people won't know what to do. And you're going to have to retrain for jobs from every year to every five years in the future. You will not have a long term job. And a lot of people, especially those who are my age and above, you don't retrain that quickly. You know, you just don't. It doesn't happen that way. And so what do we do? And tech, and I can tell you this, because I have been, Stu, have I not been saying this since we met in the 90s? Yeah, it's been a long time. Right. Yeah. I know because I read futurists, and futurists like Ray Kurzweil, the, you don't know if they're actually predicting the future or making the future at this point, okay? Because they're all at Google and everything else. And they have been talking about this for a very long time. But you don't hear any politician talking about it. You don't hear Google setting up big, huge training centers to retrain truck drivers who in six years, eight years will probably lose their jobs because there will be automatic driving trucks. It'll be the first impact on, on trucks and big, big jobs. You don't see them talking about that. Do you, do you see any of these big tech places? They're not doing that. Why? They know that this is going to be one of the worst upheavals ever in the history of mankind. 
You're going to have 100 years of change in 10 years. They're worried because I read them. I read their own white papers. They're worried about revolutions. They're worried about violence and riots in the streets and governments being overthrown just because jobs. And then they're also worried about suicides. Where do you get your meaning if you don't work? Nobody's talking about this. And tech knows it because tech is going to be causing it. I've also told you beginning about 10 years ago, there is going to come a time when tech knows what tech knows and the government is going to start looking like, uh oh, they're going to come for us. The people are going to come for us and the banks are going to go. People are going to come for us and they will look to tech to protect them with the promise that the government and the banks and the new world order will protect tech when the jobs are gone. That's the Great Reset, guys. I just didn't know what it was called. That's the Great Reset. And that's what's really going on here. The government is in trouble. The press is in trouble. That's why the press is working with the government. We're all in this together, right? Hoping that you're not going to figure it out. Because there's three ways for this to end. You catch on early enough right now and you stand up against it. And we throw these bums out and we all... Talk to each other about the truth. Our life is going to change. How do we want it to change? And how are we going to how are we going to deal with this? And we all become adults. That's the white the right way to deal with it. The other is we all decide we're going to stay asleep and we just let them steamroll over us and we're in a virtual cage. And when we wake up, there's nothing you can do about it. And you're just in that system. Or, God forbid, the third one, and that is we figure it out almost too late and you got to fight for it. And then it just goes butt ugly. I said this in 2009, I think, on Fox. You think you think you are using these people as useful idiots, meaning the people like at Occupy Wall Street at the time. I said, but these people actually believe it. You politicians don't. You think you're using the global warming people and you're you're telling them we're going to fix the planet. But when they figure out that this is nothing but a giant money making scheme by the richest people and the richest corporations in the world and you never meant it, you were just looking for power and money. They will come to your studio and rip you out of the street, uh, out of your seat, live on television and beat you to death in the streets. That's the worst case scenario. And they all know it. You cannot lie to billions of people because we actually have we, we actually have skin in the game. You're telling us, you're lying to us, telling us, don't worry, we got it, we got it, we got it. But we're the ones that lose in the end. And it's not just one country they're doing it to. They're doing it to the entire Western world. It's happening now to the people in Ukraine. And what are we doing? We helped cause that. What are we doing? It, it, the time to know about what is coming is right now. The time to calmly, collectively, 
work together with all sides of the aisle because the other side is waking up. Wait a minute. This is not what they said it is. Why are they still doing this with covid? Why? They're asking those questions. You are asking questions. Why is this happening? The answer is the Great Reset. Know it. Share it with your friends. The eyes of the world are upon us. And only in America, only in America, can we actually publish this truth and get it out. It's now up to you and your neighbors to learn it inside out. And take the simple steps now. Get your money out of these big banks and support your local, locally owned, locally run bank. Get your state to pass ES anti-ESG laws. They're now happening in three states, Texas, West Virginia, and New Hampshire. Support them and get them on the books in your own state. The time to act is right now. If you don't know what I'm talking about with The Great Reset, get the book. Glennsnewbook.com. Glennsnewbook.com. It's called The Great Reset. Joe Biden in 21st century fascism. Na, na, na.